0: You're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with host Jennifer Mattern, helping serious freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors go pro.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Jen Mattern, and you are listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. This is episode 32. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at com. Slash podcast slash 32. In today's episode, I'm joined by Canadian freelance writer and indie author Dan Alexander. Dan and I are going to touch back on a topic that was discussed in episode 19 with Princess Jones, which is confidence. And more specifically, Dan and I are going to talk about the issue of rejection, and how you can not only cope with it, but learn from rejection to improve your writing career over time. And this applies not only to freelance writers, pitching clients, but also to authors of fiction who may be approaching agents and publishers. So let's jump right into the conversation. Dan, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for taking part. Pleasure's mine. We are going to talk about confidence. And this is something that I've talked about on the show before with Princess Jones in episode 19 you can find that one on Fear and Confidence Issues at allindierwriters.com podcast 19. Dan and I are going to follow up on that topic, talking about confidence and rejection specifically and kind of how you can deal with that. We'll address some options that you have as writers. So I want to start off by just letting Dan st- share his story because he kind of comes from a position of having a full-time job and being a freelance writer. And his confidence issues didn't necessarily come from the freelance side, which I find interesting. So I want to let him share his story to get started, and then we'll take it from there. It's all yours, Dan. Thank you. Well, I guess if I could start, um, maybe I don't know where
2: to start. But the, yeah, having a full, having, being the writer with the day job, one thing, the one thing that stands out to me is, interesting when I distinguish the two jobs is there's a, you know, the day job is something I pretty much depend on in order to pay the bills and frankly, to be even able to do this. And if I'm trying to move up in a day job and if there's, you know, if I, and it happened recently where I was working to get moved and, you know, make more money and through no fault of my own, no no fault but my own, sorry, I was You know, I wasn't able to make that happen and that did shake me a little bit, but I was able to, over the last couple of weeks, go back and think, well, this kind of thing never rattles me when it comes to writing. And it hasn't, I've never been rattled by,
0: it's been a long time, let me put it that way, since I've been rattled by any writing rejection and I've always, I've been thriving
2: on that whole writing rejection thing. I always see it as something completely different. And I think in the last couple of weeks, especially I need I know I've learned to need to apply that how I feel about getting rejected in in the writing business and you know think, well, why couldn't I have taken it the same way with uh, you know trying to get promoted and moved up in the
1: day job? Do you think that it's tied to the fact that the day job is really how you support yourself? Do you think that maybe you'd have similar, um, issues with the rejection with freelance writing if that was your primary job as opposed to a side job.
2: It's that's a safe bet to say, I probably, may, I maybe would take it a little bit differently if I was depending on writing full time. Because there's a, ch- you, you think, well, you're losing out on a chance to make more money. But I'd like to be able to have, it, have a balance in that whole philosophy, I guess, and be able to approach it. And that's what I'm trying to do now is, and I've, I think I've, achieved it in the last couple of weeks is to try to really bring the balance in because I know there'll be something else and something better with with the day job and I know that'll come. It, it always does. I'm always able to make make life better.
1: You're such and an optimist. Yeah,
2: I'm forever the optimist but it's certainly the last few weeks especially have been a, a wake-up call that it turns out I'm actually pretty grateful for and have even, you know, as I've gotten a couple of other rejection slips, for lack of a better description, I mean, you get an email, do you call it a, do you call it a slip? <laughs> it, you know, I've, I've taken that and gone, yeah, it's well like I'm building on it. There's, you know, there, there'll, be, there'll be something else that'll get published, there'll be more work. And that's sort of, well, that's the same with the day job, really. There'll be more work.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a good point in that, you know, there's always something else. And I think that's one of the big benefits of freelancing is, and Well, a benefit in that we have that diversity in our client base, but it's also a good reminder to newer freelancers that they shouldn't put all of their eggs in one basket. If you rely too heavily on one client, then you're going to end up in a position similar to what you went through with your day job, with your employer, where if you take a hit, that's a really big hit. Whereas if you have half a dozen clients or more that you turn to regularly. Then, if you get a rejection from somebody new or even from one of them if they choose to leave, it's not that big of a deal because it's just a really small hole in your income that you need to plug. And I think that helps a lot. Um, but it is important, you know, as a new writer, that you not get one or two good clients and get very comfortable with them and think this is going to last forever and I don't need to market myself to anybody else. Um, I see that a lot. And, you know, I've been there when you get comfortable. You know, I had a story on the blog where I walked away from a client who was paying me over $30,000 a year reliably. And that was a hard thing to walk away from, but I had ethical concerns. Um, Whereas I could do that because I had other clients that it was just one hole to fill. And I wouldn't have been able to do that had I been a new writer and thought, oh, wow, $30,000, that's fantastic. I could do just this and nothing else. Well, then I wouldn't have had a choice but to stay against my, you know, my, ethical guidelines professionally that I try to adhere to. Yeah. And that would have been a tough position to, to do that or to take a, a huge loss. Um, so you have to be really, really, really careful and I think that's an excellent point from Dan's story and kind of the difference between the two. So how are you dealing with the whole issue of rejection? I yeah. know you're, you're being an optimist, but you know, was there something that kind of made that click for you where you felt better about it? I started in the last couple of days to just reference some things
0: that I've read in the last year and two years and gone basically I've gone back with like a couple of books that you know of, of great importance that I'm keeping like literally keeping as
1: I'm talking to you they are on top of my filing cabinet. that I can I can you know reach up behind me and grab them okay and reference you know I like got little slips and arrows and you know
2: post-it notes all stuck through And I can go and find something and find something and find comfort in it and and think, oh yeah, that makes sense. And just build on, and then just continue to build on it and become more confident. I'm trying to turn that optimism into even more optimism. And I'm not really sure at what point, especially in the last two weeks where I had a bit of a, you know, took a bit of a hard hit with the day job thing,
0: that something did click. Maybe it was the... And I could be speculating,
2: because again, I don't know the exact point, but something was, oh yeah, there'll be something else. Whereas, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I might have lamented for, you know, days on end and maybe even weeks with frustration about things. Yeah. And it's just, I don't, you know, maybe it's a product of
1: age or that I'm actually working, that whatever I'm doing is actually working and just moving on. And that, you know, that's important. I know that that is hard, you know, and maybe it is um, our old age, Dan, (laughs) because I feel the same way, you know, over time, it, it does get easier. And, you know, I mentioned in the episode with Princess that I don't have a lot of the typical rejection issues that freelance writers face, because I'm not pitching them. That's not the way I market myself. So it's not like I'm sending out pitches, and I'm hearing no's or not hearing anything back and getting upset about it. Um, because I focus on my professional platform and attracting clients to me, they're coming to me already wanting to hire me. So I'm usually in that position to reject them. So it's, it's really different for me. And that's why this was a topic that I probably couldn't have covered in a solo episode. Um, because I'm really not the best person to share and that's why, you know, I love your story in this, um, and that you're able to see the positive in it. And I think that is really important, you know, if you're writing for magazines or you choose to do cold calling and pitching. Um, and if you want to do cold calling, I highly recommend Peter Bowerman's The Well-Fed Writer. Um, it's a great book. Um, but if you, put yourself, if you put yourself in that position where rejection is more frequent and it, it's just sort of a normal part of the job, you don't really have a choice, I think, but to get comfortable with it over time and that's happened to me, too. You know, like I mentioned, you know, getting older, it gets easier. There's still rejection, not from the pitching, but from clients who decide to move on for some reason. They, maybe they don't have the budget anymore to hire me. They need to hire somebody cheaper or whatever the reason is. Um, I haven't had any really nasty falling outs, thankfully, but, you know, things still happen. You still get rejected in different ways. And yep. over time, yeah, you do get more comfortable. I know that's probably not a comforting thought to newer writers, but but it does get easier. New writers have to keep going, and that's something that, that drove me. Any reject, when I started
2: building more of my business about 10 years ago, um, something, when something snapped and I was able to really figure out a routine and start getting disciplined in what I did,
0: you know, that's, I think, when I learned to start taking the writing rejection a little bit better over over time. And, working even with one client I'm, for a year straight, I had worked for a
2: year straight on with one particular client, my first real good client and I was still pitching and I started to turn the whole pitching process into an experience to, to learn how to refine pitches and get better with it, how to be a better communicator and I can say with, you know, I, I'm a much better communicator in, in this trade than I am with my day job. That's just my own personal feeling. I'm good at my day job. but. I I much more enjoy the confidence that I can project from doing this. And part of it I think is because I'm behind the safety of a computer screen or behind the safety of, you know, holding my phone or an email. Yeah. Or, well, that's behind a computer screen. But I think you know where I'm going with this.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, no, I think that's a great point. I think it's funny, actually, when you say behind the comfort of a a phone because I actually don't know many writers who um, are comfortable with cold calling. They do it because it works. But they're terrified I, of it, I, so.
2: One of, I, had, I had one of my best, actually the best cold calling experience I've had in this business, via phone, and I'll share it with you because it was just—I don't think it could, I could—I could have—I couldn't have written a better script for this. I was—I ta- I was still living in northern Ontario at the time, and having a particularly horrendous day with um, the day job, and I had taken a lunch break and had gone home and. You know, when I was, you know, I was able to check emails from home, and I did that often during lunch hours, and would you know check freelance boards or whatever. And at the time, my wife and I were already looking at you know moving back to Atlantic Canada, and for whatever reason, I had just randomly looked up a multimedia company based in uh, you know small rural Nova, a small town, Nova Scotia, lovely town called Annapolis. I'll promote it. And out of nowhere, I picked up my phone and I called. I called them. Just out of nowhere, I thought, you know what, it's a day to try something new. And when the guy who answered happened to be the creative director, and with, for what I don't know what I was on that morning or afternoon, <laughs> when he answered the phone and I, I introduced himself, I literally said, My name is Dan and I write things. <laughs> and I'll never forget it because I figured, okay, oh, hey, he's just going to be like, okay, yeah, you know, who's this joker calling me? And he said, Oh, interesting. Well, what do you write? That turned into a half hour conversation about the business and about shop and about what he did and what they did and I had already managed to browse some of their websites and get a sense of what they did and browse some of their photography and video production and here it turned into And at the end of the call he said he told me something and I'm paraphrasing here he said Dan I know what it's like to cold call and I have to tell you that you picking up the phone and calling me at a blue like this has really made my day. It's been one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had in a long time.
0: Oh, that's and I hope nice. one day we can get to work together. And that we did. And subsequently, of course, I moved back to Nova Scotia where I live now. And, of course, I'm from here originally. And uh, with, I was here living here just over a year. And I finally
2: met him for the first time in person. I drove up. And he's about um, a two-and-a-half-hour drive from where I live. Drove up and met him in person. I've gone up a couple of times since, and I've done some work for them. There's not steady work per se, but every now and again something comes up, and you know I've maintained a really solid relationship with him since, even on a personal level. He's a really, really, you know, he's not just a good businessman; he's a really, really good guy to be around. And I'm always inspired every time we have a, a chat or end up emailing. So that, it goes back to that whole cold calling experience. And I thought, well, if I can knock something out of the park like that, it's enough to keep me going. And I think everybody in this business can have that one moment or multiple moments where they'll hit somebody with a cold call
0: and it could turn into this incredibly positive and inspiring relationship that keeps you, want to keep once, that will keep you going in this business. Yeah,
1: I think that's a great point that you have there again in that, you know, what I like to tell new writers is it only takes one yes. Exactly. Yeah, You get your confidence boost and every time then that you get a subsequent yes, it just gives you more and more confidence. So yeah, it kind of sucks in the beginning if you're getting mostly no's, but all it takes is one. And that's it. You know, I was lucky in the, the first pitch that I ever did. Well, I don't pitch now. I did in the past. The first publication I ever pitched, they said yes and no argument on rates or anything like that and it paid well and so good. I was I was lucky so you know don't expect that to happen I was lucky there was nothing about skill in that just luck Um, but all it takes is that one you know I didn't expect to land that gig I went in expecting a rejection and even though I was you know <laughs> aww
0: <laughs> well, Olive just decided to join the conversation <laughs>
1: She, she agrees. It only takes one so, <laughs> to get your confidence boost going. It might not be the first that you pitch. You might have to do it for a little while. But once you get that one, it will make all the difference. So yeah. it's so important that you just keep going until you get that. I've
2: actually kept my rejection slips from when I was sending pitches by mail when I was much younger. And, that's, and I say that I like those kind of pitches were... Uh, literary pitches more, per se, like sending poetry or short stories to okay. a couple literary publications. And I, I, I've been doing that since I was in my teens and still in high school. Okay, I've kept a lot of those as reminders. And I don't look at those with sadness at all. I look at, wow, this is, look what I got. Look who read this. And this was, that was amazing. And I'm even able to remember what I sent them
0: because chances are I still have it.
1: Wow. No, yeah, that's a nice way to look at it. You know, I've heard of... Writer saving rejection slips, but I like the way you put that, you know, look who read this. That's, that's kind of an interesting perspective. I like that.
2: I, I, even, I, I got a more personalized one, um, from a uh, very, very popular, uh, still widely read print publication out of the States. I won't say what that is, but, um, it was very, you know, I expect, you know, you get a lot of form letters sometimes, but this one was more personal because it turned into, well, I have a question about where you live. I see you're from Nova Scotia. And it, it became very personal. So you got the sense that, oh, they really looked at my profile perhaps, or they looked yeah. at my website or or my Twitter feed or something. So, holy, oh, that's interesting. So ended up striking a conversation. And you never know where that may lead down the road. They might remember your name if they're still, if that individual is still, you know, receiving and reviewing submissions.
1: That's true. That's true. It is about relationships. So. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's fantastic, um, man. You were such an optimist. Like my brain is not wired that way. <laughs> and I mine,
0: mine, wasn't. To be
2: fair, really it
1: was the longest time, and I can attribute that to without
2: turn without trying to turn that into a sob story. I mean, I was a you know I was bullied in my younger days in school, mm. and somehow I've over the years managed to find ways to, you know, to cope with it. You know, through a lot of you know, positive things, but in the last few years, I've read, you
0: know, a couple of books that just, you know, like, I don't know, stuff that I felt transported by, okay. and it just was like, wow, I can be an optimist and, you know, look at the good in things, you know, try to look at the good of things more often than than the
2: perceived negatives.
1: Dare I ask what books you like to turn to, if you'd
0: recommend I, any? I, I'm going to recommend one that I've read this year in particular that Completely knocked me out, and it's uh, and I'm recommending it for for anybody. It's called Real Artists Have Day Jobs. It's Sarah Benincasa's book. Okay. And Sarah, Sarah's a wonderfully brilliant writer, stand up, you know, comedian, and I, I read. I got it just after it was released. I ordered it through Amazon, and more or less, I have initially it was you
2: know going to support someone who I'm a big fan of, and I love her Twitter feed, and I read it in. Was read, I read it in less than a week, and it's one that I've definitely been transported by. I've got all kinds of colored post-it notes in here. Because you think of the title, Real Artists Have Day Jobs, it's more or less this confident reassuring that, hey, it's okay to admit you have a day job and still call yourself a writer first. And it's all these collections of essays and stories and about, you know, and there's, it can be, a, regardless of what creative
0: aspect, creative art, sorry, that you're into, I've taken this and learned so much from it, and it's, it's frankly a book I've been a bit transported by. And I really recommend to everybody pick it up and just go through it. It's a very, very quick read. And I normally take forever to read a frigging book. This i burned through in less than a week, and I, I feel like I've literally got it to the right
2: side of my desk along with my writer's references. And, you know, everybody can learn something from it. Even the most seasoned professionals in this business, I think, can learn something from it.
1: That's great. I will link people to that book where they can buy it and learn more about it on the show notes page. They'll be able to find that at allindywriters.com slash podcast slash thirty-two. I love your cat. That's like the cutest noise. <laughs> Fur babies are always welcome on the show, so <laughs> yeah, she's definitely trying to steal the show. Yeah, so now let's move into when rejection happens. You know, you've kind of touched on some of this a little bit, but I want listeners to see some of the things that they can do to deal with and cope with rejection after it happens you know that in between phase especially early on when they don't have that confidence they don't have those yeses coming in yet yeah. what keeps them going you know sure. what would you suggest you know i know you said you keep your rejections and you have you know a rather positive outlook about what they can mean but can you think of anything specific that you might recommend to help them through those first few rejections, which can be the toughest? If I think you can break the rejections into a couple of categories,
2: and not everybody's gonna get necessarily both categories right away. And the categories I'm thinking of, you're gonna have the standard form letter rejection, which is gonna you know, spell out fairly standard, you know, we can't read everybody, we can't accept everybody, that sort of thing. But Every so often, especially starting out, you may see a rejection that's very personalized. And I don't mean personalized in a in a negative way, there's a way to turn it around. There might end up being some constructive criticism or feedback. People need to take that and think, well, again, somebody's read this. What can I learn from it? Even if it's a strong piece of writing or a strong pitch, strong idea, it might it's worth it is worthwhile to go back and take a look at it. And think, well, how could this, maybe how could this have been stronger? I'm not saying dwell on it for a week or even yeah. you know days on end, but look for things that maybe you could have done to make it better and improve on you know and improve on it for future pitches and future work.
1: Yeah, and I would even add to that and say not just to look back at what you wrote, what you submitted, but to look at your pitch itself because sometimes it's not a problem with your writing the right. rejection is simply that you weren't the right fit or maybe you didn't do your research and didn't realize that they had just published something very similar so it doesn't mean that something is wrong with your writing necessarily you know, if they give you feedback on how to improve of course you know take that to heart but understand that there are other reasons for rejection exactly. so it's not always about you it's sometimes it's just about the pitch or their budget or their editorial calendar Maybe they received another pitch that was very similar and they had a tough decision between the two. Um, it could be any number of reasons. So try not to take it personally. Um, yeah, don't I assume the worst.
2: I, I think back to the very first rejections I could have ever received. And now, again, I was in high school when I on a couple of the rejections that I received. Whether they were pitches or for, you know, not just pitches, but literary stuff that I would have sent. And it's true. I've never actually been offended by a single rejection I've ever received. And that date, again, this is dating back to high school where, you know, something that might have happened at school might have easily offended me or, you know, having, dealing with conflict with people. But I can look back and, and never get too upset, never say I was really, really upset as a result of being rejected as a writer. And always been able to move on from it. And sometimes I think, well, why couldn't I have done that with my entire life? <laughs> um, with things dating back to them.
1: Do you think that maybe that has something to do with your identity and how you know how you identify yourself? Do you maybe, or maybe early on, I should say, did you identify less with that role of a writer where it didn't feel as personal? Or what do you think the difference might have been between... Rejection as a writer versus other forms of rejection in life.
2: Well, you're provoking some interesting thought. I didn't necessarily identify In the younger days as someone who was maybe a writer. I knew I wanted to be a writer and, and aspired to it didn't at the
0: time think of the fact that Well, yeah, I could actually make a you know a decent, you know living whether
2: it's full-time or side hustle It's all it was only maybe later when I got out into the work world that I thought, you know what, It's nice, it might be nice to identify as a writer first, even though I'm going to go to, you know, eventually went to college and took another trade uh, in order to make a full-time living, to, you know, guaranteed full-time living, I guess. And I just, you know, hey, I've, I've really enjoyed, I enjoy writing so much. I'm going to call myself that first and identify as that first, because then I'm projecting the whole, maybe it's going to help me project what I really want to do with my life more and inspire me to keep going and to keep working. And eventually inspire me to really, you know, dig dig my heels in and make this more of a business, which I only started to do 10 years ago. Okay. Like, I really only dug my heels in about 10 years ago. I was, you know, working on and off uh, before that and sitting down and, and going. But I would go days and even weeks without doing any work, whether it was pitches or anything before that because I wasn't taking myself seriously. And something snapped, uh, about, again, about a decade ago where I thought I can dig my heels in and, and do more.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I actually didn't know that you'd been writing for 10 years, so that's interesting to learn. Um, and Olive agrees with everything that you're saying, apparently. <laughs> I tried
0: to knock this old printer I
2: have
1: over. I mean, I, I, can, I, I would write in high school and, and college, and, uh, you know, when, in my earlier years in the work world,
2: but never thought that it would be something I would want to take seriously. And, yeah. and, you know, I'd get, you know, printed here and there and printed in free stuff too. I would often would send stuff, um, you know, poetry or literary journals, you know, where they weren't going to pay because you just wanted to see your name in something. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: I mean, all good experience, uh, not doing it now, of course, because you do want to make a, you know, as much as I enjoy the business, you know, part of the reason I'm in it is to see if I can take my talent and make money on it. I don't know. I think I was a little different when I was younger. You know, it was, I kind of came around to writing in a strange way. You know, I've been writing for clients since I was 19. Um, but before that in high school, I had originally wanted to be a writer. I wanted to go to college for creative writing. Um, little school up in Rhode Island that I really wanted to go to. I was totally set on it. And then, what happened was my high school, they ran out of AP courses that fit my schedule, which are, you know, they're the courses in high school that give you college credit here. And so basically there were no more advanced courses for me to take. And I had two options. I could either take what was called senior privilege, where you would leave for half the day, um, or I could go to the tech school half the day and learn something. And me being me, I couldn't stand the thought of being bored and not doing something. So I went to the tech school in the afternoons to learn auto mechanics. And that is what led me into the interest in engineering. Um, One day I just sort of, I said, wow, this is designed like shit, like why did they make this design decision? And so the teacher was like, you know, he didn't know what to do with me half the time. Um, So he was like, well, then do something better. So (laughs) they sent me to the machine shop and taught me how to program the CNC, and I designed a new piece, and I made it, I was like, this is actually really fun. And so that's how I got into engineering. And so I was kind of torn, you know, where I wanted to be a writer. And then, wow, this this whole problem-solving aspect of engineering, where everything is a puzzle, that fascinated me, and I loved that. Um, So ultimately, I decided to go to school for that. Um, That, in turn, led me to public relations, freshman, it was my freshman year in college, and they threw us right into something that they called an engineering practice and design studio. There was, I mean, you were literally just just thrown right into the deep end, where we were working with an actual nonprofit organization, and they had a series of problems. Each group in the class was assigned a different problem to solve, and we had to come up with an engineering solution. We had to come up with a prototype, and then we had to present it to the organization and it was really fun you know we had one where they they needed to be able to count something that um, they were struggling with managers had to do manually and so of course you know being young engineering students we're like oh my god let's use a laser and we did and it was so much fun nice. but it was the first time a project had been accepted by this nonprofit and actually they decided to put it into production so it was a big deal then and they had us on the the local TV news and such and I was assigned to be the spokesperson so not only did I love the you know the um, the process of coming up with the idea and the prototyping and all of that but it was the presentation of it and dealing with the media and I had a knack for that and I really liked that so I decided to minor in PR and ultimately I switched to the major um, my PR instructor was amazing and just made me fall in love with public relations. So problem solving with my hands to problem solving with my mouth. And there's a lot of writing involved in PR. So I kind of just fell back into writing in the strange, like circular process. That's where I wanted to start. And I kind of went a different direction. And you know, fate just sort of brought me back around and said, nah, you're gonna write. So. That's how it happened. So i i guess I've always seen myself as wanting to be a writer. So I've always identified as that, and I did write fiction back then. Wrote for the school paper, things like that. Um, so I don't know. Like I've always identified as that, but so I don't know. I think maybe that's why when I was younger, I would have taken re- you know rejection a little more seriously. And I just—I had a very lucky start to my career. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Um, I made good decisions in a lot of ways, but there was a lot of luck involved. And I think yeah. that's important. Um, you know, when new writers come in, I think it's so important that they don't try to model themselves after just one writer, because you don't know how much skill went into that. What was a result of specific decisions they made? Um, what was a result of talent? And what was the result of luck? Because there was always a little bit of that. Um, so that's the difference, I think, between us. You know, you said you didn't start out thinking as a writer yourself, Mostly as a writer, and now you kind of identify as that. Whereas I identified as that, and then I kind of moved away from it, and I sort of fell back into it. Like it just felt natural to go that route again. Um, So I think that was always kind of there in the back of my head. And I can see that identity, perhaps. You know, I just started pitching fiction this year, and nothing's been accepted yet. Um, I haven't pitched much, though. I've been a little lazy about it. Um, But, you know, so it's not. I haven't had any like bad reactions to rejection or anything like that yet, but it stings more I think than the freelancing for me. I think there's um, maybe there's more of myself in the fiction. I don't know what it is, but, but yeah, I, I think identity can play a role. So the, um,
2: I, I had a fiction rejection very recently that it's not that it's stung. I think I was a little bit surprised that it got rejected in the sense that one, it was it was insanely funny. And I had circulated it around to a few people and said, "You know, have a look at this. What do you think?" And people thought it was really funny. And I thought, okay, because of the timing of certain news events, you know, there's a good shot at this getting accepted. I think I was a bit surprised that it didn't get uh, accepted. Yeah. But yet, I, I still look look at it even now, and I go, "You know what? This was really funny, and I'll just I'll keep this, even though no one's bought it." And I, I was able to send it around to a lot of major publications, and people a Few people had written back saying, "You know, this is quite good, but it's you know, it's missing something." Yeah, Um, and I, you know, I couldn't. I'd look at it and think, you know, well, I'm surprised because it's pretty good. But I accept what you're saying, and whatever, whatever it's missing, maybe I'm not the one to come up with it. And I ultimately did just sort of shelve it. But so there, there, that's was a kind of a different way to approach for me to take rejection. It's not Mm -hmm. that again I didn't take it hard per se. I think I was a little bit surprised, and this was something that was fiction. Okay. It timed in really well to certain news events, and. It, you know, it's it's interesting too. I think back to, you know, was, was there a, was there a point where I wanted to write, and you know, we, you know, your story is amazing, and I can I have incredibly vivid memories of writing short pieces in elementary school, if you can believe it. And I thought, well, and I and I always seemed to have a knack for it. I would always get you know really good compliments, and you know, I, and I I graduated high school with a very low
0: average, but the silver lining in the cloud was always English. And part of that was I think my creative aspect.
2: I wrote rather, I wrote very well. And wrote ahead, I was told I wrote ahead of, you know, people who, you know, were had A and A plus averages. I still wrote better than most of them. I was told that by multiple teachers. I was lucky. But I never at the time thought, oh I'm gonna, you know, maybe one day I will write. And I had a I also come from a bit of a music background, although I'm certainly not spending a lot of time on it these days. And, you know, I played in a few bands and, you know, I, when I, I hated
0: school. I wanted to grow my hair along and play loud music. <laughs> so I, I just, that was just my the thing. So
2: my best friend, one of my best friends is this really great drummer. And when we were kids and in our teens, we would sit up with our binders and we would write stories. You know, we'd write, we'd write song lyrics, you know, the most ridiculous stuff you could, you know, think of akin to the Ramones, you know, bands <laughs> that really inspired us. And that was you know the, hey we were writing we were writing since we were kids kind of thing. Yeah. Again, I never thought you know taking you know going back to those creative days, and I still have some of those uh, notebooks. Incredibly, I can go back and go, wow, you know that's where my mind was. Who, who'd have thought I'd want to turn that into trying to make some side income or full time income?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um you know again you have a good point. You got a lot of good points here. You know you're talking about when you were younger and you, that you were encouraged. And so I think, you know, maybe that, you know, helped too as far as how you deal with rejection as a writer is that you know you have the talent. And I think that's a struggle for some writers who are very talented and they don't realize it yet um, because they haven't had those reassurances. They haven't had that kind of feedback. And so that's important, you know, get it where you can Um, if you didn't have that when you were younger. You know, like you, I had great teachers and was good at English and was on the school paper and things like that where I was able to get that kind of feedback. But if you didn't have that, if you kind of came to writing later, then yeah, it might take those first few clients those yeses again before you start to get that kind of reassurance that you and I have. And yeah, I can see how that could play a pretty big role in how you think about rejection. And how yeah. you handle it. Um, I, so seek positive, you know, influences around you—people who like your work. That doesn't mean only show it to friends and family who are going to say nice things to shut you up. You know, but find people that you respect who do have a high opinion of what you're doing, and you know, go to them for feedback when you feel like you need it.
2: Yeah, I, have, I had when I did my first book. I sent it around to a few people and I didn't expect you. I did send it around to a handful of people and again, I consider myself fortunate. I got dropped dead honest feedback. Some liked it, some didn't and they gave the reason for it. And some of what I learned from the feedback, I was able to factor into the final draft. And, and I, I, was, I, I appreciate that drop dead honesty from people. I think too. And, and that includes from people I would refer to as mentors in the business. If I have, you know, someone I and I, I was fortunate to have a really good mentor um, when I lived in, in Alberta. was a newspaper editor for many years, and I would send him things and send him you know essays and things I would work on and say, well, you know, is this a story? You know, what's missing from this? Do you think? I wouldn't bombard him with things, but and if I may suggest, I think it's important for people to reach in the business to reach out and and develop positive relationships with others in the business. I actually think the camaraderie in this in the business, from my perspective, has been incredible. And I've been really lucky to, you know, work with and, and chat with some really great people such as yourself. I've been really, really lucky. And I think it's important that everybody reach out and,
1: you know, find that camaraderie in the business so they can learn from each other. Yeah, that's true. No matter how experienced or how new you are, that's important. Exactly. Uh, you have to have people you trust. And again, this goes back to another episode of the show. Um, Episode 21, I had Yolanda Prinzel on. We talked about writing critiques for friends and colleagues. Love that one. Um, They can find it at allindyriters.com slash podcast slash 21. And it kind of goes back to what, you know, you were just saying and that you have to have people around you who can give you honest feedback. And yes, you know, you want people who are supportive of you, but you need those people to be honest with you too you know they have to be able to tell you what you need to hear and you have to know that that's coming from a good place and you know from somebody who wants you to do better and when you have people like that around it makes all the difference you know for me that's somebody like Yolanda and Lori Widmer and Kathy Miller um, it's very very helpful i can send them anything um, and i know that if something is shit they're going to tell me and they're going to do it delicately, except for maybe Yolanda, but <laughs> but um, no, she would too for the most part. Um, but I can trust that feedback. And I know they're not going to tell me it's great and get my hopes up about something when, you know, an objective party might say, wow, that is complete and utter crap. And you yeah. need to go back to the drawing board. Um, so that's, you know it, it is it's very very important that you have that network that you're not doing this alone um, because the more isolated you are i think you know the more personally you're going to end up taking that rejection yeah. because you don't have those positive reinforcements and you know those helpful influences the so it's important back to the drawing board is
2: a chance to add something amazing to the picture you're doing.
1: True that's very true so yeah, I don't know. You're full of good points today, Dan. Oh, oh,
0: <laughs>
1: lots, okay. lots of good reminders. Can I have that in writing? <laughs> you got it. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, th- these are all good things. You know, some of us I didn't really think about before the show, um, you know, about having those those connections and, and how maybe, you know, the psychology of how we were when we were younger and how that influenced us now. Um, yeah, that's true. So, you know, think about your own past and positive reinforcement that you may have had in the past um, if you're not feeling the confidence now and try to pull some of that, you know, from somewhere. You need to get that confidence from somewhere. And the more you get, the more, you know, you're going to keep building that. It, it really does kind of feed on itself once you get things going. There's something great about, about moving on too from rejection or from, you know, even from project to project. I covered moving on in my most recent blog post. Send and us liked a it link, so i I
0: didn't even add anything to the
2: website. Uh, it's Dan, Alex, Dan with two alexander okay. And I liked it so much, I reposted it a couple of times, and I got some good feedback on it. And you know, that's sort of what I was trying to cover in that post. Was you know, you can there's something really positive about moving on from rejection, no matter you know, in your professional life and and personal life, even too, to to a large extent that, in a sense, can you can turn that into something positive and in, in a confidence-building.
1: Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, so, uh, is there anything else in particular that you think that newer writers should know about, you know, confidence in general or dealing with rejection?
2: careful to not spread
0: yourself too thin. And by, when I say that, I mean writers who might be out there combing freelance
2: boards, every freelance job posting board that is out there. And I, I, I did, I was looking at a ton of them for so long, but I thankfully didn't jump the gun in what I'm about to reference.
0: You'll see, you'll, you'll see a lot of ads even now where they'd be saying, send
2: samples, send this, send that. Now you, were, you reposted yesterday a great old piece about, um, I think it was Sharon, was it Sharon Hall's example?
1: I'm not sure.
2: Sorry, I can't. Oh, sorry, I can't get her name straight. Oh, Shar- sure, Sharon Hurley Hall. Thank you very much. Um, you know, sending examples and they'll spread. Of, like people are going to send. They might sit down and think, "Oh, I need to come up with a sample to send." You know, yeah. to demonstrate how good I am, and that's time that can be better spent. You know, I mean, you may never, you may never hear back from from these potential
0: clients.
1: Yeah, you're think, talking about you're talking about the the forum post that I shared on Twitter yesterday. Thank you. That's what I, that's right? where I was going. Okay, <laughs> I'll I'll link to that in the show notes so people can check that out too. But yeah, that was a client who was um, basically it, it was about clients who demand custom samples that they're not going to pay for or ever use. That's so where I was we'll, going. Yeah, we'll link <laughs> so to that.
2: I drew, I drew a blank in uh, that sense, but I I appreciate that you knew where I was going. The newer writers might be get overexcited, and you know they want to send out as much as they can to as many people as they can because they, they think it's gonna. And they may get lucky and get a, get
0: one or two yeses, but there's there's other ways to market the market yourself to potential clients that yes. aren't going
2: to involve burning yourself out with you know doing something like custom samples or you know sending out content that somebody that you know runs a, you run a risk of having it stolen. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen it happen. I've had I've had it only happen thankfully to me once, and you know I was able to take whatever action I could on it, and ultimately nothing got used. But Good. new writers that you know get a little excited and think that they can yeah you know, let's let me dive headfirst into this business and send it as much as I can. You really run the risk of burning out to a point, and, and you know getting having you know things turn around in a bad way, and you don't you do want to avoid that. I mean you're not going to... Rejection is impossible to avoid in this business. It's just—it's it, just a fact. But don't spread yourself too thin, or you know, you risk completely burning out and then developing a very, very quick, sudden mistrust. Like, oh, I'm never going to be good enough for, uh, you know, for the business if I'm getting so many rejections right away.
1: And that is so dangerous because, you know, just like I said, you know, confidence will feed on itself. So does that kind of doubt. So. Yeah you can't let that grab hold. You have to have those people around. You have to have those reminders that you are good enough. So that is absolutely vital. So let's um, touch on something. Let's talk about something that I touched on briefly before, which is that rejection isn't always about submissions. It can sometimes happen after you already have an established working relationship with a client. So, you know, like, I think i would mentioned some of these before, but you know, like they might have a decrease in their budget, or maybe you're working for a publication and the editor you work with leaves and a new one comes in. Maybe they have their own set of freelancers that they like to work with, so you're out the door. Um, rejection can come in all sorts of forms as a freelance writer. And you know, it's not just new writers, experienced writers deal with it, and it's not just about pitches. Um, you have to be prepared. So, yes. what would you say they can do to prepare for you know the inevitable loss of a client in that sense? Um, if, if people can, if you best you can
2: hope for, I think, is you still want to mean, If you're going to lose a client, hopefully it's not for acrimonious reasons. Yeah. And it would be important. It's important to let them know you're still alive once in a while. I think. And I do that with even my very first serious client. Uh, where,
0: I had work, where I had work for over, you know, a year straight. I still, he hasn't had work to send my way in a very
2: long time. And I'm talking like near, you know, three years. But we still maintain contact. I, I was, I think, well prepared for the downturn with his business because he had given me enough of a heads up. That's but good. that's not always going to happen. You're, you may, you know, the client may suddenly, very suddenly, things might dry up for them where they can't, they don't have work.
1: Yeah. Or they're gonna do the work themselves.
2: In some instances. I've had that happen where, you know, they're gonna do the work themselves to save the money and I and I would totally understand it.
1: Yeah. Um, it it can be very sudden, you know. You know, I had mentioned the example where I had walked away from a client. In that case it wasn't rejection, but it was still that sudden loss. Yeah. And in that case, they had you know, I've been writing for them for probably six to eight years at that point and they brought in a new SEO person who started doing things that I considered very questionable and I didn't want my work being involved in so I walked away and that was a very sudden thing um, where they told me certain things weren't going to happen and then they started happening it's like okay I can't be a part of this that's it I gotta go and you know like I said that diversification helps and that would have been the same if they had decided to ditch me um, and what was tough about that particular period for me was that not only did I then lose like over 30,000 from that client but then my next biggest client um, they were slammed by Google they run a very web heavy you know business They own a lot of blogs and such and they were slammed by Google um, you know that that'll happen in the web publishing game you know there are fluctuations and so that impacted their ad revenue, and therefore their budget, so they had to turn to cheaper writers. Now, I'm still in touch with that client. Again, I've been working with him for seven or eight years uh, right. at that point, and I'm still in touch with that client. Um, I still send him referrals and such. If he has like an advanced project that he really needs a pro for, you know, he'll still contact me to see if I'm interested. Um, so yeah, I mean, that diversification, and like you were saying, to maintain those relationships, if things didn't end badly, because you never know when things are gonna change, when that budget's gonna come back, or if they're gonna realize, hey, I'm not really happy with these cheaper writers that I've been working with, maybe I really need this person back, even if it's a more limited role to accommodate their budget. Um, So yeah, I mean, those are both really important things. So diversify, have enough clients that losing one is not going to completely kill you, and maintain relationships whenever possible if things end well and hopefully they'll end well all the time (laughs) you you know you don't want to have a client pissed at you and saying nasty things about you obviously but
2: you can't say yes to everything and that's something new writers have to be careful of too is you can't you shouldn't you don't have to say yes to everything and that could be based on not just maybe low rate of pay um, but also for ethical reasons i mean somebody could offer somebody could offer a really, really good, um, you know, rate for something. But if it, you know, writers have to know when it's going to cross the line. Do they want their work associated with this or that? And to go back a little bit further in my story, one of the people I, you know, considered a mentor was very politically charged in his work. And so he, he, he leaned a certain way politically and, You know, and I vowed for the longest time I would never, and I I used to do politically charged stuff and, you know, politically charged writing, and now I'll never do it again because I don't necessarily want somebody to think, oh, he thinks this way or that way. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I will not. um, Somebody could come to me with a really, really good rate of pay and make me, you know, and and ask me, sorry, to write something, you know, that's around politics. And I don't want to do it. and I won't do it anymore because I've been mm-hmm. there, done that, don't like it. And I just think, you know, I, I don't really want to sell that out anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, people have to be able to say no when it, when they feel it crosses the line. Do, do they want their work associated with a particular topic or with a particular, you know, organization? Yeah. And the I'm, writers need to be careful. that Don't always say, hey, it's a, hey, it's a great paycheck. Money's great. Money is all. Money is, is great. Everybody can agree on that. But you know, you you have to think about your personal integrity. You know, as well. Um, I, I mean, I I, learned, I think back to the politically to political writing. I mean, that's you know, I did learn to write and improve my writing better, I should say, by learning from a, uh, you know a mentor who was you know very political. But I'm am glad that chapter. I like to think that chapter in my life is kind of closed. I mean, I was politically involved at one point and would use you know my social media back then I was that was more when I was on Facebook which I never am now thankfully <laughs> um, I would use things and I would write I would still write things to my old blog and write stuff that was politically charged because I had some opinions and eventually one and it's, my dad one day said you know one day you'll want to give up the fight and I didn't believe him when he said it because he was very politically involved for years And with different, you know, organizations and different parties and things like that, I developed enough through my volunteer work in my younger days that I I developed good relationships with people from all beliefs and all walks of life that, you know, I consider myself now politically independent, but I will still not cross that threshold
1: into taking, you know, client work for that. Even ghostwriting, if my name isn't going to be tied to something, I still don't want to do it. Yeah, I can't blame you. I can't blame you. It's sometimes it's just about, you know, it's just about that feeling that, because other people don't know, but we know, you know, we know what we did. Um, so, yeah, you know, this comes back to your original point. You know, I want to reemphasize that a lot of new writers will say yes to anything that comes along. And yeah. just because they don't want to deal with rejection or that fear of, well, where's the next gig going to come from? And, you know, it really does help your career to learn how to say no early Um, no, because they're not going to pay you enough. No, because you're not comfortable with something ethically. No, because you just have a bad feeling about that prospect and you, you know, you're concerned about where that relationship is going to go. Maybe they seem controlling or something. Um, learn to say no, because if you get yourself into these relationships with clients where you feel uncomfortable about the work and you're unhappy with the work, um, it's going to make you feel that much more desperate when you are pitching other clients because you're going to be looking to replace that or you don't want to feel as reliant on that and the more desperate you are, you know, then you know that more personally that rejection can hit you because yeah. all of a sudden it's not something that you want, it's something that you feel like you need right now. And when you maintain more control over your career and the kinds of gigs that you're taking on, yeah. It's, it, look, it's tough. I understand what it's like when you have bills to pay and you need the money right now. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to live with those decisions.
2: If a person isn't comfortable writing about a topic, it might not necessarily just be for ethical reasons. It might be because their research skills, no matter how good they are, might not translate into something very true that they think is going to be sellable a bankable product. And, and I'll use this as an example. Um, finance writing yeah if someone were to come to me and say and it hasn't happened and nor have i ever pitched anyone on finance writing um if someone were to say to me you know i've got this you know can you write something about you know finance whatever the hell kind of topic it is and the very idea of writing about money just stresses the hell out of me i I would never (laughs) do it in 100 years but um you might know somebody who specializes in that and yolanda prinzel comes to mind And i'm just using her as an example i know that you know she's made you know
0: That's, you know, a good chunk of her career, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And but someone like that
2: who is well-versed in it, I would, you know, either want to send them the business or just say, you know, that's not comfortable I'm talking about, you know, and I wouldn't be comfortable writing about law either because
1: something, you know, there's there's legal ramifications just for that alone. There's liability. Exactly. In that respect. And the same would be for finance
2: in, in the sense of, like, say, accounting maybe. Um, that's a big liability I know here, especially. In, in, yeah. you know, I don't know how it works in the states, but you know, a person
0: can't just give accounting advice and not back it up somehow. Yeah.
1: yeah. Or, or say
2: that it's you know they and if, if they do, they need to put in a disclaimer. Um, <laughs> she <that's>,
1: agrees. <laughs>
2: for qualified legal or accounting advice, you need to talk to a qualified accountant.
1: Exactly.
2: In, in most instances, that will cover your tracks. But okay. still. It raises a red flag and, you know, new writers can't just go, hey, I'll write about that. I'll I'll go on Wikipedia and and pull some information and then I'll give you an article. I've seen it happen.
1: Yeah, it does happen, unfortunately. It's bloody
2: fucking dangerous. There's just no two ways
1: to put it. It is. And, you know, that goes back to that desperation, you know, where people will just agree to write about anything, whether they're qualified or not. And the generalist issue versus specialized, that's why I always say specialize. Um... You know, and I think that you know, again. That's another important point. If you specialize and you make yourself an authority in a niche or a type of writing, you will start to see less rejection because suddenly you offer more value than the next general writer to come along. So that's something else to consider for new writers. But I think yeah, I'm just
2: looking for my niche. to Be honest with you. After all these years, after <laughs> <still>, ten years, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what the hell my niche is, if if, if, <laughs> if one out there
1: at all. Well, specialization doesn't have to um, always involve a niche. You can specialize in a type of writing as well. So, you know, if you're not comfortable specializing in a specific industry, for example, uh, maybe you don't have any background that would really lean that way, choose one or two types of writing that you can really master. And then you can choose business types. So, for example, you might write um, sales letters. And maybe you'll only write them for software companies or for app developers or for some particular you know, type of product or type of service where you can really kind of narrow down in that style of writing and how that particular type of buyer reacts because all sales letters are not created equal. And the same applies for you know other things as well, all different types of writing. So there are ways to specialize where you don't have to choose a niche necessarily. Yeah.
2: And it's, you know, and maybe one day I'll find something, I'll figure out something out of all the work I do that, hey, well, that seems to be what I like to do the most. Yeah. I've I've found as far as stuff I'm interested in, funny enough, that I do like to write about writing. And a lot of that
0: stuff ends up on my, on my own website. But I've been paid to write about writing too, which okay. is great. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've I've, had people say, oh, you know, you seem to have, you know, a wise approach and an
2: optimistic approach, so share that wisdom, and I've been lucky to get a couple of gigs just as a result from that.
1: That's good. That's good. And you're in an interesting position, and, you know, because I'm such a big proponent of specialization here, I do want to say, don't be like Dan and (laughs) and be a generalist. Um, Dan is in in a, not a unique position, but... He's in a position where, I'm speaking about you in the third person, Dan. <laughs> talking, to li- talking to listeners for a moment here at side note, sidebar. Um, Dan is in this position where, because he has a full-time job and he's writing part-time, he does have more flexibility. Now, if you're in a similar position, then being a generalist might be fine for you, or if you're doing it as a hobby or something, it might be fine for you. If you really need to build a full-time business to support yourself, though, I very highly recommend specializing and really becoming that expert or authority over time in that area that you're specializing in because you will see less rejection and you will make more money and it's just a better situation all around. So, And there's a lot of information on the blog about specialization, so I'll link you to some of those posts as well in the show notes, which you can find at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 32. So yeah, I just wanted to touch on that so that they don't think, oh, Dan's a general, so I want to be one too. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Right. Yeah, with
2: my first book, Planned on Parenthood,
1: creating a life. Yes, tell a them day. about your book. I thought that I was should, I yeah. love that idea. Well, yeah, I wrote a book. Oh, Yeah, right. You know. I love the idea of Dan's book. So tell us about it. Thank you. So, well, Planned on Parenthood, which I you know wrote a few years ago now, it's been out for a while. Um, what is the idea of writing about?
2: A, writing about the decision not to have kids, and just writing about it from a guy's point of view—that's mm-hmm. a result of this seemingly never-ending quest to, I do want to write a book one day. What the hell can I write a book about? <laughs> and a few years ago, when I was living in Ontario, something clicked, and you know, it was Boxing Day, so the day after Christmas, was it suddenly hit me? I like, wait a minute, I could, and that was at the, my in-laws' house. Place was, you know. Kids were running around the house screaming. Relatives were in. I was losing what little I had left in my mind, <laughs> and, and probably hungover. And, and thought, well, "Well, gee, I'm so glad I'm not having kids." I was just, you know, you know, making little frustrating comments to myself, and you know, craving some peace and quiet. Probably cranky.
0: Uh, <laughs> hey,
2: there's a few books about not having kids out, but maybe I could do one. I got all these, you know, interesting opinions on it and everything. So I sat down literally the next day and started sketching an outline. And over a year, you know, a year, in the, it, was a, it was a year before the first draft was even done. And it wasn't until it was ready to be put out, and I put it out under my own label, I, I realized it was the first book of its kind to be written from a guy's perspective. And that topic, the topic of not choosing not to have kids, I was able to get quite a bit of work on that. Not something I necessarily consider myself a specialist in, again. I tend to be generalizing myself. But the book has translated into some great coverage. And it's sort of still, it's it's amazing how it tends to have a cycle of its own where there'll be a story in the news, you know, for you know every four or five months. Somebody will write something about not having a kid. I always see that as an opportunity to try to get my name in somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and bring up that perspective. And the book really did take on a life of its own in the sense that it didn't just it's not just some sort of diatribe about here's why I'm not having kids blah blah blah. I ended up touching on so many things that surrounding the topics of not having kids about adoption
0: and yeah. you know social stigmas and things like that. And I had I had agents look at the book and tell me they were afraid to take it but they loved it. Yeah. It was an amazing experience
1: pitching that book to publishers and and agents. They were like I love this idea. I like what you've written. But I'm afraid to take it, and here's why. They were afraid of it being too controversial. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And I had a,
2: I didn't, I released it under my own label the September after I moved back to Nova Scotia, so 2012. And at that point, there was some stuff happening personally where I had lost, I lost a cousin who I was close with. Oh, sorry. Um, I had only been to see her in New Brunswick three weeks beforehand, and she died suddenly. And I had one of these, you know, holy shit, life is short moments. Yeah. And... Then I thought, you know what? I'm gonna put it out under my own label. I had it formatted for, uh, you know, so it would, you know, be I'd be able to at least sell it on Amazon. And I thought, you know what? Screw it. Life is short. I want to get this done. I want it out there. So, the and it's funny. The day I was I got it approved for global distribution was uh, the day after my grandfather had passed away. Mm. So even it was more. Again, it was more of a holy. You know, hey, life is short. I'm getting
0: this book done, and I'm gonna have this career. I'm gonna keep going. Yeah. So I've been able to write and, and do some appearances based on, on that topic, too, talking about not having kids.
1: Yeah, you did have some speaking engagements, didn't you?
2: I had, there was a speaking engagement I was that was going to happen in Ohio this month. Okay. In, in Cleveland, and that didn't end up happening. It,
0: oh. That whole conference got moved to next year, but I, and it looks like I'm not going to be a part of it now. But oh. Yeah,
2: that's okay, though. It, there's perfectly good reasons as to why, but it could, something else could still happen down the road, and and I'm happy to do it. That's, that's you know, something I'm comfortable getting up in front of an audience talking about. But at my day job, get me to stand up and give a presentation, forget it. I'm going to run to <laughs> else.
1: So it sounds like you're kind of almost inching your way into a specialty dance. So I don't know. It's,
0: you're right. <laughs> I'm really kind of
2: surprised that, you know, as we continued our conversation
1: about, you know, specializing in niches and everything. Oh, yeah, wait, I wrote a book. Like, <laughs> I that dance today
0: that... I've forgotten that oh yeah, I did publish
1: something. There's you know. hope for you yet, Dan. <laughs> yes. Oh, there is definitely. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, well, I think that's all that we have for you today. So I want to give Dan a big thank you for stopping by. You know, i yes, I'm yeah, I you know, I love that we're able to take um another angle on this topic and you have some interesting perspectives and some great tips for them. So thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. Do you want me to tackle something specific in a future episode? You can submit your writing-related questions through the contact form at allindierwriters.com slash podcast, by emailing me at jen at allindywriters.com. that's j-e-n-n at allindierwriters.com, or by leaving me a voicemail at 484-575-1345. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindierwriters.com slash podcast slash 32. You can also access this podcast, audio blog posts, and related audio productions by visiting freelancetheater.com.
0: You've been listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with Jen Mattern. A Freelance Theater production. Freelance Theater. It's all writers need for life's little episodes.